Hey, we're in a series called Devoted Together as we looked at the first century church kind of getting back to the roots of what needs to be learned and applied into our lives. And I'm going to kind of skip through because I went a little long today, so we're just going to jump midway through. So here's what we said at the top of your outline. If you have an outline, you should have an outline in your program. Is that right? Should, should, on the back of the outline should be like a, a, a box. It's, it's a, I mean, a check mark. Anybody got that? Oh, well, I, we were going to pay someone's mortgage off, so sorry. So, uh, must. oh, here, it's mine now. Um, so here's what we said. We said that in the New Testament church, that they had a very simple message, and we looked at that over the last couple weeks, uh, and it was Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross and he rose again. And Peter and the rest of the disciples said, and we are witnesses to it, right? And, and then Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, gives them the mission. And it's an expanding mission as he tells them, you're going to be my witnesses, right? Witnesses in Jerusalem, and that's where they were at. In Judea, that was kind of a surrounding community. Samaria, which was the other side of the tracks in which all of them said, we don't go there because we don't hang out with those kind of people. And so he said, yep, you're going to go there too. And then ultimately he said, the ends of the earth, and that's where we are today, right? I mean, you think about back in those days in the Holy Land, I mean, that seemed like we are certainly the end of the earth. And we sit here a couple thousand years later and a few thousand miles away, and guess what message we proclaim? Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the God, right? It's the same stuff, and it got catapulted into history, and it affects us today. So then as we looked at that purest version of the New Testament church as it gets kicked off, we recognize that they had this mad passion or devotion to a certain uh, five core values is what we're, we're saying today. And so you look in your outline, the devoted, which is in, in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves, right? And that's kind of the idea of the series, devoted together. And devoted means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be consistently diligent, to go at it, and even when you're tired, you're still going to keep on pushing on, right? And they were devoted to those things, and we've talked about that. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, you got that so far? Every week I'm so hopeful. Every Saturday I get on my knees in my bedroom and I lay down on my face and I say, Lord, give me the best. All right. That's what I want to hear, Ray. Thank you. So Ray's devoted, right? The rest of you are still kind of catching on. So they devoted themselves, and then here's what we looked at over the last couple weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, right? We looked at that in week two and week three. To breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many uh, uh, wondrous and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And I recommend you go back and read through all the together parts. There was a bunch of time that they were hanging out together. Verse 45, and this is the verse we're going to look at. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Okay? Now, today, we're going to look at give. All right? I know you're like, wait a minute. It's supposed to be serve. Well, I did a bait and switch, right? Because I figured if you guys knew we were going to talk about giving, you wouldn't show up today. Right? Isn't that true? So, shut the doors. Everyone's in here till I finish. All right? So, so um, 
We're, we're going to look at that. So as I studied through and started reading through the first century church, now, now just kind of get your mind around this. They all traveled to Jerusalem. The majority of them are Jews, okay? And so they're going to the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem to celebrate kind of like a Passover feast. While they're in Jerusalem, God's sovereign plan is to unleash the Holy Spirit. And so there is a core group of believers, roughly about 120 of them. And so all of a sudden, everyone floods into Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast type of thing, that the Pentecost, right? And God uses in his sovereignty a time to unleash the Holy Spirit into the lives of the believers. And you remember in the last couple of weeks, and Peter stands up and he begins to preach the very first message in which he shared with them, which was Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and so forth, right? And all of a sudden, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Now, we all sit there and think, man, that is absolutely crazy. That would be so incredible. But, but for them to give their life to Christ meant that their way of living for the majority of them was going to be over. They would be shunned from the Jewish religion. Many of them would no longer be uh, clean to go into the temple and do any of that type of stuff. Families would disown them. And they were basically left all by themselves. Okay? And so the body of believers, the ecclesia, the body of believers got together and they had this incredible passion, and we're going to get into that in a minute, they had this incredible passion about taking care of the needs of those in the church. So much that they were willing to sell their own resources, their own you know, properties and so forth in order to take care of those who had needs. Now, when we sit there and we read that, we think, oh, man, that's, you know, go God, that's a go God moment. And then I'll be honest with you, then as I reflect on it myself and I'm thinking, okay, Dan, would you be willing to do that? And it's like, oh, I'm not sure that I'd be willing to do that. Which kind of got me to think even more about the attitude of that first century church. In order to be willing to sell their personal gain, their personal properties, to help somebody else who may not even be connected to them, they, they're probably not even kin. I mean, it's just the reality of they're just believers. But in order to do that, that they had to understand that their possessions wasn't going to possess them. And that it was really just a blessing from God to give to them. And that's how they looked at it. And so as I kind of thought through that to think, well, how does that translate into our world, into our life? And, and what does Jesus spoke about in, in the area of this kind of attitude about possession? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. It's the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' favorite and famous messages. And we're going to start with Roman New or number one in your outline. You ready? All right. Here's what it is. God has a lot to say about money. Now think about this. Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell. Okay? Now that's kind of weird to think of that. I mean, here's this guy that, that came to this earth to live, to live a sinless life so that we wouldn't go to hell. He didn't speak about hell as much, and he didn't speak about heaven as much as he spoke about money. And you kind of go, well, well, why is that? If you go further and you look at the studies, uh, you study the life of Christ and it comes to the area of money, he wasn't even speaking about money for money's sake. For him, it was an instrument to use, a tool to use for the followers of Christ. This isn't for the unbelieving world. This is for the followers of Christ, for them to evaluate their heart. And so he simply used money as a tool 
to drag them in because everyone was kind of connected to it, right? That, those days back there and those days are here. Our minds are consumed with it. He uses it as a tool to drag them in to the conversation and them to, uh, uh, to allow them to analyze their hearts. And so as we say in number one, as God speaks a lot about money, it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with your devotion. Okay? It's not about money. And when we look at the, the, the teachings of Christ, he's just simply using that as a tool because he recognizes and we recognize today that there is a struggle inside of each of us when it comes to devotion to God and our stuff. Would you agree with that? We struggle with that. And we want to give lip service like, oh no, Jesus is Lord, right? The song we sang, you know, I want to give it all to him. But then when it comes to our stuff, we start really kind of wrestling with it a little bit. And so Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one, okay? Now, that means those of you who are really smart, those of you who are really spiritual, those of you who think you're too cool for school, those of you who could sit down and tell me all the Bible and all the stories and you could do all that stuff in chronological order backward on one foot with an eye closed, all of you and all of me, right? No one can serve two masters. Well, thank God we live in America, Dan. We don't have masters. Well, he's not talking about slavery. He's talking about something completely different. He says you were either, you were either hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted. And that's the same word that we find in, in, in verse 42 where it says they devoted themselves. Okay, So Jesus is saying, listen, you will be either earnestly seeking, you will be tirelessly pursuing one master, not two. It's impossible to do two. You'll either pursue one or the other. You'll, be either, you'll love one or hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one, or you'll, de- you'll despise the other. And then here is the master in which we all wrestle with. Verse 24 goes on. You cannot, not may not, not might not, cannot serve both God and, what's the word? Money. Can't do it. Now this isn't Dan telling you. I'm just reading what Jesus said. Okay? If you have an issue with him, take it up with him. I am simply the mailman bringing the goods. I don't get to edit. I don't get to make an opinion on it, right? I just simply got to read it. And so he says to us, he says that you cannot serve both God and money. But the, as he teaches on money, it's not about money. It's about your devotion. Because what we're going to learn is everyone has something on the top of our list. Every single person, you may not have a list at home, it may not be on your, uh, on your refrigerator, but the reality is every single one of us has something on the top of our list. And as we go through the message, what, what's cool about the teachings of Christ is he's going to reveal it to you. And when you might sit here and go, well, I'm not sure what it is. By the time we get finished, you will leave here and you will know exactly what's at the top of your list. Number two. Who or what, and this is kind of the question that we want to throw out to you, who or what has your devotion? Now, I know, again, the answer is, hey, we're in church, Jesus has my devotion. Right? Isn't that the the quick answer? Who or what has your devotion? Your headship, as we looked at last week, or your lordship. 
As, as, as Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow, he says, come follow me. And as, as they gave Jesus the headship or the lordship of their life, they began to follow him. They gave away the, the, the values of the world, the purposes of the world, the, all that kind of stuff, and they followed Christ. They gave him, they surrendered the headship or the lordship of their life. So who has that in your life? You will either place your trust in money, wealth, and the pursuit of security, or God. And I know the answer is, no, both. No, Jesus already said you can't. No, but I want to try. I know. And he said, you can't. Yeah, but I'm quick. I'm smart. I'm spiritual. I'm this. I'm that. He, but Jesus says, listen, you can't do it. It, it. As hard as you want to, and as much as you want to rationalize, justify, and all those other kinds of things that you want to do, Jesus says, it's impossible. Something is going to be at the top of your list. Who is it? And he's using money as the tool to drag them into the conversation in the debate where he's going to reveal to them, as he will us, what it is. Okay? Number three. There are two hang-ups when it comes to your finances. You say, only two? Well, I don't have three days to speak, all right? Two, two of them, and here they are. Letter A in your outline is personal consumption. Anybody have that disease? Don't raise your hand. And that is this. <clears throat> Every dollar that comes in is consumed. Whether it's your house, your car, your insurance, you know, whatever it is, your habits, your, your hobbies, whatever it is. But every dollar that comes in is consumed. It's spent. Typically in families who struggle with this, they have a very high rate of consumer debt. Credit cards are maxed out. Okay. Letter B is personal hoarding, or you can put saving. Okay. And the issue with that one is the folks who live in that kind of world live in the world of what if. Well, what if I get sick? Well, what if the economy turns? Well, what if I get laid off again? What if the stock market drops down to fourteen hundred thousand? Well what, well, what if? Well, what if the washing machine? Well, what if the car? Well, what if the kids? Well, what if this? Well, what if that? Right? So, so, so we're not going to consume all we have. You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep it all. Right? And we don't call ourselves hoarders. We call ourselves good stewards, savers, cautious, careful. Right? And so everything comes in, and we just keep on keeping it in. So there's one or two camps here. You're either spin, baby, spin. Or you're like, no, no, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Give me, give me, give me. Who knows, who knows? I'm 50, when am I going to retire? How's it going to be? What's the stock market going to be? My 401k only says this, that, that, that. Keep, 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 keep. Right? You guys doing okay? Let's just talk about serve, okay? I mean, when are we going to pray for the Seattle Seahawks right now? Let's just all, everybody drop to your knees, right? Now what you're thinking? And who let the air out of that ball? I mean, that's important to me right now. Right? That's what I want to know. And is that guy's wife going to have the baby or not? I need to know. Before I go home, I want to know that. All right? So now, how many of you guys are going, huh? What's that guy doing? See, in my world, I get random thoughts. All right? And, and I know I probably need to be in a special place. Right? Padded walls with a lot of different IVs and things going on with me. So anyway, I escaped. So here I am. I'm free. Here we go. (sighs) 
those monster drinks in the morning, right? Caffeine, sugar. I come in here and the ladies are in the donut place. They're like, here, Pastor Dan, here's a sugar donut right here. Injected with more sugar. It's like, uh, who needs that, man? Who needs that? All right. Do you guys have any? It's not looking like it. Problem is, in about 10 minutes, I'll be laying on the floor. I'll be in a diabetic coma. All right. So just come and just and then head out. All right, here we go. Here's the, here's the issue with, the, with both of these hang-ups, is they are both very self-centered. It's consume or save. But both of them are, are, are kind of in that area of self-serve. It's all about me, okay? It's all about what I get, what I want. If you have the mindset of consuming, it's like, I work hard, guys, guys will do it. It drives me out. The cr- I just want to spin. My body levitates. It's nasty. It gets crazy. But they'll go, I work for it. Therefore, I deserve it. It's like, no, what you deserve is to be a servant to your family. That's what you deserve, okay? So if you want to model Jesus in your house, be a servant, all right? So some of you guys are like, whoa, I got to write that down, so... Number four, both of these hang-ups are driven by greed. Go ahead, say it. When are we going to talk about service? That's what I want to know. That's next week, all right? Both of them are driven by greed, okay? Now, here's the issue with greed. I've had conversations with people who have anger issues, and they come in brutally honest. It's like, Pastor Dan, listen. I got anger issues, it scares me to death, I can't get a handle on it. I got problems with lust, I get hooked on pornography, I can't beat it. I got an addiction issue, and this is what's ruining my life, I can't overcome it. I've never, in 24 years, never had anybody knock on my door, phone me up and go, hey Dan, can we meet? I'm greedy. Never. Not interesting? Never, no one sat across the table going, gimme, 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 right? Never. You know, so, so this is just kind of my thought. I, I think it's something that we don't see in ourselves, And we spin it with, I work for it, therefore I can have it. Or I'm just being cautious and I'm saving for the future. And in reality, both of them have this greed behind it. And there's a definition of greed in your outline. Greed can be defined this way. If it comes to me, it's for me. Now, how many of you just put that on the button? You're going to have that button next week right here. It's for me, it's for me, right? And, and see, here's the issue. Here's the issue with it. Greed, in the background of greed, has the attitude that God doesn't exist. Now, I know what you're saying. We're here to worship Jesus. I mean, I came to church. I could be staying home watching who let the air out of the ball and whether the guy's wife has a baby. And we're here, man. Why are you beating us up? And I'm just going to tell you, this is what Jesus is saying. That behind the greed, in the background, is the attitude that you don't believe God exists. Because if you believe that he exists, then you would recognize that what he places on your hand is his. It's not yours. He places it on your hand and he says, this is a gift to you. You are to be a steward of it. And the moment you go, but it's for me, it becomes your God. 
and your heart is right there. But if you live your life with it open and you just recognize that it's something that he has given you in his goodness, that it is not meant for you to serve it, it's meant to serve him through you in your life. But when you squeeze it and say, got to consume it, got to save it, got to have it, it becomes the top of your list as your God. And it becomes a struggle that we wrestle with. Now here's the other interesting thing about folks who get into kind of this greedy mindset. And it's, it's just kind of interesting to me as I look and as I talk with different people. They, they may spend, you know, five, ten years of their life where God is excluded from their finances. Now, they believe that if Uncle Joe dies and he gave his life to Jesus, heaven, hallelujah, right? That they believe that if their spouse or their kid's going through surgery, that they can hit their knees and that God in his sovereignty will watch over the nurses and doctors and bless them and keep care of them. They believe that. But when it comes to finances, it's like, no, 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 you, you just kind of park over there, all right? And, and I'll, you know, whoop, don't move, all right? And here's all this stuff, and I believe that, Lord, you could do that. And then here's what happens. When the boss comes in and goes, hey, I hate to tell you this. When the stock market tanks, when the bank calls and goes, guess what? You know what the person does? They reach over and they grab Jesus by the collar, if you could do that, and they pull him over and they go, listen, Lord, I need your help right now. I mean, right now. And then they pray a financial prayer. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand how many of you have prayed a financial prayer, but my hunch is every single one of us. We need a house to sell, a house to buy, a car to get, a washer to fix, a transmission to get, a good deal on something that's not working so well in our life, right? It's like, Lord, I know you love me. I know you got good things for me. And this is what I need. I need a raise. Right? So, so, so here, here, here's what Jesus is saying. Why would you do that? Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you make him one over all your life? And then when you hit the bump and the, the economy crashes and the house and the whatever goes on, you don't have to reach over and ask him to be a part of it. He's already a part of it. And you're living your life as an, with an open hand. And what he's given you is his. And if he wants to take it, blessed be the name of Jesus. Right? But when we squeeze it, it becomes ours, and that greed kicks in. Number five. God doesn't want to just bail you out financially, contrary to a lot of guys who teach. God wants to be the headship or the lordship of your life. And his competitor isn't Satan. It's your stuff. See, no, no one, I'm guessing, no one sits and says, okay, Lord, listen, today is Monday. So I'm either going to worship you with all my heart or sacrifice my neighbor's cat to Satan. <laughs> now, maybe the sacrifice the cat part will work, but not to Satan, right? And I'm just kidding, all right? But, but we, don't, we don't do that. And this is Jesus' point. It's his, it's his point. That, that, that's the extreme. 
But he does recognize that your competitor of your heart is your stuff. And he wants the headship or the lordship of your life. And he's using finances and your things to reveal to you what's first in your life. And he just kind of opens it up. Number six. We following okay? Number six. Giving is not a financial decision. It's a decision whether to allow God to rule your life. And I challenge anyone to go look at the teachings of Christ when it comes to finances. It's not about money. I mean, besides, right? His father owns all the hills and all the cattle on the hills. Right? He's not limited. So here's what Jesus says. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what's at the top of your list, because everyone has a list and everyone has a top of a list. If you want to know what's at the top of your list, here's here's what Jesus says. It's simple. It's where your heart is. We go, well, my heart's in my chest, Dan. No, no, no. It's what you think about on the way to work. It's what you think about on the way home. It's what you think about when you sit down and you write out your bills. It's what you think about when you go to the mall. It's what you think about when you go to the boat harbor, when when you go wherever you're going. It's what's consuming your mind is what has your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? So what's consuming you is an indication, and he's going to take it to a deeper level in a moment, is an indication of where your heart is. And where your heart is, is what you treasure in life. What matters the most in your life. And so number seven, so when Jesus taught about money, it's not about money, it's about your devotion. And that chief competitor in your life is whether you're going to be devoted to stuff or you're going to be devoted to him. If you're going to pursue him or not. And so here are three steps on breaking that grid, where the, the greed rather, where it's like consuming or where it's like save, 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 okay? So here's just kind of three steps that, that I would recommend you do, and I'll just briefly talk about it here. So number, letter, uh, number seven or eight in your outline is the action step. So here they are. Three ones are right across. Number one, the first part is give, okay? And that is you ought to give 10%. Now someone asked today, Is it the gross or is it the net? I don't know. Pick one. Okay, just pick one. All right, doesn't matter. Second one is save 10%. That is the hoarding. Woohoo for us hoarders. All right? And then 80 is those who are your consumer freaks. You get to consume 80. Okay? Now, here's the argument. Well, why 10%? Well, let me explain to you why. Look at Proverbs chapter uh, 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with what you have left over. Throw a little bit in the plate and all will be good. No? Oh, you have a different verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth. How are we going to do that, Lord? Here it is. With the first fruit. Okay? 
of your crops. Now, here's the question. Why is it the first fruits? Who wants to be one in your heart? Yeah. So guess what it is? When we give the first fruit, in this day it was an agricultural community. In our day it's a different one where, you know, uh, you go and you get a paycheck and so forth, right? When we give the first fruit, it serves as a reminder. There is a spiritual principle in there that it serves as a reminder that God, you are the giver of all things. You are first in my life. Because remember, this is what Jesus is using. He's using finances to reveal your heart. So if it's the leftovers, what does that say about where your heart is and your devotion? Then you are to save 10%. It's just good stewardship. You're to live on 80%. Okay? Now, let me just say this and I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians. If you sit here today and you think, there is no way I could live under that kind of a financial situation, let me just say to you, you did not get into your financial mess overnight, and you will not get out of it overnight. You got into it with a lack of self-control, pay attention, and you will get out of it with self-control. Okay, so what got you into the mess is the exact opposite of what's going to get you out of it. All right, we tracking? And you, it's little by little, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And so depending on where you're at financially, you, 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 this, ought to be, this ought to be a goal for you. Now look at, look at what Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 16 too. On the first day, what is the first day? I don't know if I told you guys this, but let me just tell you. Every Saturday morning, I go in my room. I have two chairs in my room. I go through my message. I get on my knees. I get on my face in front of God. And I say, God, I just want to give you the best. And my prayer is the folks will bring their best. All right? Now, it wasn't the first service, so Lord... Give it, get, give, it, give it to us now. <laughs> give me the best, right? I know, I don't got much to work with. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what is the first day of the week? Oh, you guys are brilliant. Man, you are the best group I've spoke to all day. All right. So it is the first day of the week and, 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 uh, that we are to do that. That is the day that the New Testament church went to worship as the ecclesia, as the body of Christ, right? Okay, all right, just checking, making sure we're here. And he says this, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Remember, Paul is speaking to Jews who have been converted to Christianity. If you read the Old Testament, there is the tithing principle. The Jewish people would have understood. Not only did they tithe their, their property, they tithe their first fruit. It was a tithing situation. So as Paul speaks to them, he says, listen, you need to keep this with your income. Now again, it isn't about the money. But it, it's, it's, it's a, it shows a picture of the person's heart. That we are to do it on the first day of the week. And we are to set a sum of money 
to, again, as a spiritual principle and as a spiritual reminder, God, you are the first. My hand is open. You placed it on there. You've asked me to give it to you. There it is. I'm not going to whine about it. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm going to believe that you are the giver of all things. Okay? And, and so it's just a simple principle in which, in which we are to do that in our life. Number nine. Financial independence is living independently of serving your money, right? So your money is not for you to stress about. It is simply a tool in which God has blessed you with. And so whether the stock market's up, the stock market's down, the futures look good, the oil's bad, the this, the that, the other thing, you drive yourself crazy. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, right? And so we're just simply, we're to, we're to be independent of that crazy nonsense. Okay, back to Matthew. Ready for the Bible? <laughs> All right, here he goes. He says at the top, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, verse 25 is going to begin to reveal to you whether you serve God or whether you serve money. So here's, here's the little test in which Jesus gives them. He says, therefore, right? Now, he's, he's trying to encourage them to be devoted to him. But he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you will wear, okay? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than the clothes? So in other words, here's where the test begins to reveal to us as to what we're devoted to. Whether God's at the top of the list or our finances are at the top of the list. Here it is, ready? It's what you lay in bed at two in the morning and you're concerned about. Is it for the neighbor to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Or are you worried about the finances of your life? What to wear, what to eat. The kids have orthodontists. How much is that going to cost? It's 1200 bucks. We only got 1400 I'm going to retire in three years. I'm never going to be able to retire. The stock market's down. It's up. It's over. I work in the oil business. The oil business tanked. I'm going to get into green energy, green energy tank. Oh, what am I going to do? Are we tracking? Okay. So, so, so all of a sudden, he says, listen, what consumes you? is going to begin to reveal to you what's at the top of your list. Okay? If it's the neighbor coming to know Jesus, and how can we serve the community in a greater way? Guess where your heart's at. Where it needs to be. Right? If you're consumed with all the other stuff, and the crazy chaotic stuff that we live in, that the world's consumed with, then your heart is not in the right place. Now he's going to give you, in verse 26, an illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You ever see a 110-year-old on that crazy TV show that the news guy, the anchor, whatever his name is, the, you know, and he's like, how did you live to be 110, right? And here's the story. Here's, here's what they say. I drank Jack Daniels and smoked all my life, right? And you're like, oh, that's the wrong answer. We're looking for something a little more, right? But, but here, here's Jesus' thing. He's saying, listen, have you ever met a 110-year-old and said, yeah, I'm 110. Well, how'd you get there? Well, I just worry about everything. 
I mean, I'm worried right now. I'm, I'm just, I'm panicked. I just, my heart's raised. Is it going to fall? And I just, you know, right? You ever met someone like that? Jesus goes, you can't. I've never been in a deathbed where the person goes, listen, I'm worried, so I'm going to live longer. No, I don't think so. When the Lord's ready, worrying or not, you're out of here, buddy. Okay? Game over, right? So Jesus says, you can't even add that. Verse, verse 28. And why, uh, and why, uh, and why do you worry about the clothes? Let's just let that sit in for a minute. Ladies, all right, here we go. Now I'm moving on. Oh, sorry. I'm here to offend everybody equally the same, right? All right. Uh, see how the lilies of the field uh, grow? And he gives the illustration of the wild flowers. He says they, they do not lo- uh, uh, labor or spin. And then I love verse 29. He says, yet I tell you, not even GQ magazine. I mean, that's who invented. Solomon invented GQ magazine. So if you read, go home and do this during the Super Bowl. You look at the, the what do they call those things after the show's over? The uh, credits, right? Look on what not to wear. And it says King Solomon, producer, right? I'm telling you, you go home and do that right now. Do it, ladies. Do it in the Super Bowl with your husband right there. They'll love it. They'll say, oh, honey, thank you. All right, here we go. Ready? So he says, Solomon doesn't even have all that. As great as that guy dresses. Verse 30. Uh, uh, Let's see. So he dresses like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire and burned up, will he not much more clothe you? Now the next phrase is a key part. Because what he's going to do is he's going to bring in faith into this whole thing about being consumed. In other words, he's going to say, this is going to reveal to you the devotion of your heart. Because if you are consumed with all those things, he's going to say, you of little faith. Because you're living as if God doesn't exist. You're living as if God isn't aware. Verse 31. So, so do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? Verse 32, for the pagans, it's a good thing we're not pagans, for the pagans run after these things. And he doesn't mean physically running. He's talking about their minds. He's talking about what consumes them, where their thoughts are. That they sit and they worry about their kids having orthodontists and how much is that going to cost and the transmission needs to be fixed and and and, and try do you try to you know how, how expensive tri tip is oh it's incredible and how are we going and the wash machine's going out and how am I going to and I'm still I only got 15 more years until I retire and the stock market tanked and the house isn't worth as near as much he says the pagans run after all these things they're chasing that stuff. Now, number 10, what is a pagan? A pagan is somebody who just doesn't believe that there is a God, and that should be a little g God, not a big g God. They, They just don't believe that there is a little g God that is interested, okay? Now listen, a pagan does not necessarily believe that God doesn't exist. 
It simply means that they believe probably that there is a little god G who created everything, but he's not interested in personal issues of your life. Okay? Hedonism, which is a lover of self, hedonism is driven by they believe that there is a God who created, but he isn't interested in the personal things of their life, and so therefore they're free to please all their desires because they're not accountable to a God. So a pagan is just simply a person who doesn't believe that God is interested in the daily life of them. And Jesus says, listen, Jesus says, if you live that way, you're living as if God doesn't exist or isn't interested in your personal life. And that's how you live. And that's why you worry. And that's why worry, when it exposes, reveals who's at the top of your list. And so as you sit here today, if you're wondering, well, do I have, am I devoted to God? Is he really number one? Let me just ask you, what consumes you? What worries you? Because if you're consumed with the daily grinds of life, then I'm just going to say to you that Jesus would say, he is not at the top of your list. But I love Jesus. I know. But he's using finances to pull you into the conversation to reveal to you the condition or the position of your heart in your life. Verse 32 goes on. And who? It's quiet again. And who? No. And what's the next word? Your. Guess who he's talking to? He's talking to believers. He's not talking to the unbelievers. He's talking to the believers. And he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, just kind of time out. We're going to play a little game. Are you guys ready? Okay. So let's just go, could use your imagination. Let's just imagine that the God that we worship. Now, I don't, don't expect you to believe it, but let's just play along. Just imagine that the God that we worship is all powerful. Now, don't, don't buy into it. Don't believe it. Just, just, just play along, all right? Let, let's just imagine that God spoke the world into existence. Poof, there it is. Imagine that that's the kind of God that, you know, that Jesus is referring to. We're not going to believe it, but let's just kind of buy into that. Let's imagine that God is all-knowing, okay? I mean, let's imagine that he's not stumbling in heaven trying to figure out, like, what day is it now? I forgot. What day is it? You know, just kind of bumbling around. Let, let's just kind of, let's just for a moment close our eyes and just say maybe that's the God let's imagine that not only is all powerful he's not all knowing let's imagine that he knows your thoughts before you even think them okay you don't have to believe this crazy nonsense but let's just imagine that for a half a second let's imagine that God knows your needs before you even hit your floor and say God my kid needs orthodontic care let's just imagine that he's up there going duh, duh I created you I know that let's just imagine that okay now I do that to make it kind of funny because the reality is is God all powerful is God all knowing does God know your thoughts before you even think them does God know your needs before you, need, you, you know that you even need them then why aren't you living that way that's what Jesus is saying why don't you live that way? I mean, as crazy as and, 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 and goofy as that is, 
He said, just for a moment, get your mind around the idea that your heavenly father knows that in your life. Verse 33. But seek. What's the next third word? First. Who's at the top of your list? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the lordship. Seek first the headship. Seek first the principles. Seek first the values. Seek first Jesus in every area of your life. Now watch. And, next word, all. And all these things, what things? The things that you lay in bed at night worrying about. The things that consume you when you sit down to write out your bills and you get the 401 statement from the retirement place. All those things that you sit back and you get that feeling in your heart like a gut like, oh, this isn't good. And all those things, food, clothes, place to live, and all those things will be given to you as well. Verse 34. Therefore, since God is first in your life, since he has moved to the top of your list, since you've allowed Jesus to bring in the finances into your life, to reveal where your heart is, you've assessed it, and you kind of go, whoops, he's not number one. He needs to be elevated in my life to be number one. Verse 34, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. You want to know why? Because you believe he already knows your needs before you need them. He already knows your tomorrow before you even went to bed and wake up. Do you believe that? He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has its trouble all of its own, or of its own. Right? Each day has its own, own problems. So number 11, who or what is first in your life? And, and I believe that you have to do a serious assessment of it. I mean, it, it, do, it, it, does, no, it does you no good to just write the church answer, Jesus, if he isn't. Be real about it. Be honest about it. And if he isn't, you know what? He already knows it. He's not going, oh, I was surprised. I thought I was first, and now I'm not. What am I going to do? How do you get to the door, right? I mean, he already knows it. But he's using it as a tool to reveal to you where your heart is. Now, here, here's, I did this, series, did this today versus next week for a couple reasons. But, but one of them, as I thought about it, th- this becomes a really central part of the whole core value and of the whole idea of the New Testament church. Because if he isn't first place, and follow me here, okay? If he isn't first place in your life, if, if, there, is not, if there is not a true devotion to have him first in your life, when it, when it comes to that far corner connect and the importance of being in a community, you know what? You're not going to have time for it. You're busy. I mean, after all, you've got to go to work and make money. Right? The whole idea of encouraging folks to grow, the whole idea of praying for folks' needs, the whole idea of them encouraging you to grow, you don't need that. It's not a value to you. Because I've got to go. I've got to have fun. It's, right? And, and then if you look into grow, 
your head, your heart, and your hands. If you're not fully committed, if he isn't first place, you know how hard it is to study the Bible? You know how long it takes to sit down and really crunch through a verse? I mean, it takes a long time. I know some, you know, there's Bible scholars all over this room, and I know that. I, I just know for me that it takes, you know, 20 plus hours. Now, I don't expect that for you. You're a lot smarter than I am, right? And you're not going to obviously do it as in depth, but it's going to take a commitment. Serve, let's be honest. You look at it, oh, I know I'm supposed to be in the preschool today, but boy, I got a lot of other things I got to do. I got to go out and do whatever. You don't know, because the kingdom isn't that important to you. Give, we already went over it. Go, you want me to actually go and tell my story to another group of people? I mean, are you kidding me? We're not passionate. And that's the concern that, that, that I think that we need to step back and look at. Is, is Jesus first in our life? Is he first? And if you go back to that first century New Testament church, you want to know the reason why they could say, yeah, I got a piece of land, I'll sell it and give it to that person in need. You want to know why? Because they were passionate about Jesus. Right? And they were willing to sell their own personal stuff to help the believers in the kingdom of God move forward. And as I said, the whole series is for us to come back and look at our life and our commitment individually and together to see, do we have that kind of commitment and passion? Let's pray.